Hey guys, welcome back to the Create Me podcast and the series of special conversations with glass artists. Um, today, my guest is Hannah Gibson. Um, she's a glass artist who specializes in casting. Um, really cool conversation with Hannah. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy it as well. I'm going to be back as usual at the end of the episode. All right, see you soon. So Hannah, um, welcome to the Creative Me podcast and this series of special conversations with um, glass artists in partnership with Northlands Creative. Um, how are you doing? Perfect. It's great to be here. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for agreeing to come on the podcast. And just for the listeners, could you just kind of tell them a little bit about um, them, about yourself? Um, so I'm a glass artist. Um, so I've been working in glass for a while. So essentially my background's in geology um i studied geology i well to go back a bit further i grew up in north wales um and so living there it's hard not to develop a passion for geology so i went on to study geology at edinburgh university for four years um and then i took the well-trodden path of um so so i took my first course at edinburgh stained glass house in glass and um that like i said a well-trodden path so fused glass lamp working casting and then in 2015, I went back to university at um, UCA Farnham, where I studied for a master's in glass, um, which was a two-year course. And then I went back to be an uh, artist in residence there, which is fantastic. So uh, amazing facilities. So yes, I play with glass. <laughs> okay, cool. And so how did that kind of transition happen from geology to working with glass? It's, to be honest, that you can interweave the two things beautifully. So it's it helps to have a background in sort of mineralogy and knowing about the chemical makeup of um, sort of glass and, and types of recycled glass. So it, it so, so the two do interweave, especially with casting. So it helps with calculating firing temperatures or melting coefficients. So yeah, they're, they're not too dissimilar. Okay. And I guess like, you know, you mentioned there about kind of casting, which is a, a different kind of a different way of working with glass. So how did you kind of get interested in actually casting with glass? Um, so I tried all sorts of other types. Um, so, so be it um, lead work or fused glass or lamp working. And, um, and I think there's an expression, isn't there, that it takes 10,000 hours to learn a profession. <laughs> and, um, and, and they're all very, very hard in their own right so you know fused glasses uh, blowing is they all are but um i found my niche with casting because i could use i could combine a passion for sustainability and recycling and um, together with the glass casting process and um, which was for me was fantastic really um, okay so. you yeah, know it definitely sounds kind of very interesting and i think you know for the listeners when they go and check out your work online you do kind of work with specific kind of little characters that they'll be very familiar with. And I'd just kind of be interested if you, you could tell the listeners how that kind of came about. That's it. So like in 2015, I started this master's where I started casting these figures, these little robot figures. Um, I wanted to choose a shape that was immediately identifiable and in a way that could unite people, it, whether they were four or 104, but it was a shape that could unite people. Um, and at the time, um, I've not long since I, I spent a few years, I've had all types of jobs along the way, but I worked for a couple of years in a school, uh, various schools, um, and we would take children to various places. And so, so around London art galleries and London museums, and it wasn't about showing them the world, it was about crowd control and damage limitation. So I wanted to choose a figure that was immediately identifiable 
and that we, we could, you know, I could discuss the recycling process and discuss the glass casting process in schools, which I've gone on to do. I've, I've talked in schools, colleges, universities, secondary school, primary schools. But I wanted to choose a shape um, that people could identify with. So you immediately thought, I know what that is. So, and, and then over time, there became so many of them that you stop looking at the shape, you start looking at the material. So my project has really been all about materiality. Um, and so a lot of experimentation with that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and you know, just for listeners, like you know, it is like you know, basically Lego. It's Lego figures, isn't it? It is. It's a Lego figure. It's, yeah. So, like, so I, how, sorry. No, no, go for it. So, how do you kind of manage going about casting onto a Lego figure? It's so. So initially, I started um, doing it with a lost wax casting process. So essentially, you'd carve the figure out of wax. You'd invest that then in fine casting plaster and quartz. Um, and then you would steam out the wax, and, and so you're left with a negative space. And in that negative space, you then put the glass. Uh, so for me, that would be recycled glass. Um, and then over time, as the project evolved, I developed, tried to work out more sustainable ways of casting. So I've tried sand casting. Um, I've tried using earthenware and grog. So I contacted an amazing uh, glass caster, Angela Thwaites, mold maker, and so, so I've been looking at all different options and trying to make the whole process as sustainable as possible. But so, but initially, the very first one was lost wax casting. Okay, and like you know, you mentioned like working with recycled glass. How do you actually go about sourcing your materials besides raking and recycling bin? <laughs> well, it's tricky. So, so in Farnham, um, when I first, so we would have access to some amazing glass. So, Kugler glass and Bullseye glass and Spectrum, which is all fabulous. Gaffer. You know, and it, it casts beautifully, really, really nicely. And I wanted to try to go down the recycling, you know, recycled route. So at the time, the tutor, everyone was so supportive. Um, down in Bovey Tracy, down on the south coast, there's a marble, um, oh, a, a place where they blow marbles uh, called House of Marbles. And then my tutor said, why don't you go down and see if they have any leftover bits of marbles from the process? And they did. So I, so I started to cast from that. And then people would, um, you know, get wind of this. And so, you know, I'd, I'd have um, television glass or jam jars or various bottles or it might be Marmite jars or car windscreens or um, mobile phone touchscreen glass. So, so the list of, um, you know, glass it, it available now is, is endless, really. So it's a, a lot of experimentation with all those different types of glass, which I've been able to do. So I still have... Um, connections within Edinburgh University and Oxford University and they can help with um you know working calculating firing schedules or melting coefficients and things like that okay and I guess in the form like the feedback um with the lego characters who've been cast in glass I, I can imagine it's being quite interesting and varied exactly exactly so I started um the project back in 2015 where I'd make these eight and a half centimeter tall figures and they weighed about 140 grams. And I started leaving them out for people to find and keep with a note attached, a bit like Paddington Bear that said, you know, this is my origin. I used to be a television screen. And then my email address. And um, about 95% of the people who found them have emailed back. Sometimes it might take a couple of years. Mm -hmm. But um, so I get these really, really nice emails back about where they were found and where the figures are now. And some of them go on journeys with people. So I've had photographs of um, people have taken them down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. 
um, a gentleman actually took his skydiving with him, so he put them in his two <laughs> skydiving in his two pockets when he was skydiving. To sh- you know, and um, you know, another lady puts the little figure, the sweet nothing, in the back of a car between two boxer dogs. But um, our, our relationship with glass has changed. So I remember when I was little, not being allowed to touch glass. I had a plastic cup, and over time, it has changed. So you know, in the touch screens and phones we're, we're touching glass all day long in a way that we we never have done before you know people wear spectacles and and we might have glasses that you drink out of but now I don't know how how, how long I spend on a touch screen phone but um it's you know we are touching it more and more like Gollum with my precious <laughs> you know I think that's such like definitely kind of like a key point to kind of mention like you know we're always kind of interacting with glass you know um even like just between us now it's digitally but I've got a glass screen on my computer you know speaking exactly. to you on my phone you know my phone's basically like an extension of a computer I'm always touching that glass all the time so yeah it's kind of interesting to think like you know my kind of like I have a definitely like a novice kind of view of actually how people work with glass but you kind of made a key point there that actually we're interactive glass every day really that's it constantly mm-hmm. and i am um, so that i've been using a television glass screen so you know the old crt screens from the sort of 70s and 80s and over time obviously they've got thinner and thinner but those original ones that i used to sit down you know come home from school watch i don't know star wars over time you know and i've gone on to use those screens to cast um, figures so it tells a different narrative it tells a completely different story you know the number right. of hours that that television screen might have been watched for and it, it's gone on for a new lease of life now so other than then you know rather than ending in landfill it has a completely different lease of life yeah. but it's hopefully through leaving the figures out i can show people um you know that that you know you can recycle glass and i've had a lot of notes off um you know parents with children who've gone on to say you know my my children are inspired now and they're you know rifling through the recycling bin and again, there's a lot of positive feedback from schools, you know, primary schools and secondary schools about, you know, things that they've implemented now with regards to sustainability and recycling within the schools themselves. So, mm-hmm. so hopefully it tells a story, you yeah. know, and enc- encourages people to recycle, shows what's, you know, the potential of glass. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess like, you know, another question I kind of have for you is like, you know, where else does you, like, your work draw inspiration from? Is it like life experiences as well? I'd, I'd love to be able to say it did, but um, it's purely the glass itself. I just so um, a while ago we put I put on free cycle about collecting glass bottles, and each day there are literally dozens of glass bottles. I don't know where they've come from on the doorstep, so it might be I don't know Bombay Sapphire bottles or Silent Pool gin bottles, a long line of them. So the you know the post lady walks past them all first. But um, so, so I'm I'm often um, you know inspired by the glass itself that arrives. But you know I, I might get a phone call from someone who's reversed into a tree and broken their car windscreen. So you know some might use that. So so it is purely inspired by the glass itself. Okay, and you know I guess you know a lot of kind of like the questions I've been asking people just in general. You know we're going through a very kind of strange time you know being in this kind of like COVID-19 pandemic and I'm very kind of curious actually how's that kind of impacted on your work or your life in general at the moment? So it's, I, I've been very very lucky in that um, so we've I, I've been self-isolating with my two children 
and my husband and my four-legged friend Daisy. And so it's so it's nice. So we've so we've had the family together, which you know, to be honest, has been really really nice. But it's given me an opportunity to pause and reflect, and um, you know, the future is now. So what? Well, you know, I can look at more ways, you know, how can I change my practice? It's given me an opportunity to, you know, how can I refine it further? I want to try and have a smaller carbon footprint as possible in everything that I do. Um, I was lucky at the start of lockdown where um, I was contacted by someone in America, um, a hotel, who wanted to commission some big figures. So they were 41 centimeters tall and nine kilograms. So it's trying to work out how I could potentially do that at home. Um, during lockdown without access to studios. So that meant um, a lot of cold working by hand. So essentially having a sheet of glass and grit and literally cold working this nine kilo, these two nine kilogram figures by hand, um, which is a labor of love. But it's, so it has given me chance to sort of stop and think and maybe go back. So instead of using the machinery that I had access to in Farnham, so amazing facilities, you know, big reciprocals and things, so it's how, how I could potentially do it from home with limited resources. I mean, essentially a sheet of glass and a tub of grit or several tubs of grit, which is wow. hard work, but um, worth it. Yeah, I can imagine. I guess like, you know, we always kind of hear this kind of term or this phrase like the new normal. And I kind of feel like there's nothing really normal about this. It's just probably like a new way of actually living and existing and kind of navigating it, isn't it? It's true. Well, as glass artists, um, we used to sort of, pivoting and evolving all the time so so whenever you start out doing anything with glass it never goes to plan you you can make all the plans in the world and someone's laughing at you but um it just so so we're used to pivoting evolving in that way so um yeah <laughs> it's uh yeah it's it's a well-trodden path i'm afraid <laughs> yeah and i guess like you know within the glass industry my kind of like novice kind of perception um before i started these kind of conversations was that it's very much male dominated but i guess like speaking to you is kind of proof that actually it's not so much as actually it's definitely changed over the years yeah well uh, to be very honest so so coming from a geology background that that at that time when i did my degree first degree it that geology was male dominated and the world of glass is a community of of everyone and um, very very much so and that's that's fantastic geology is, is no longer like that but glass is is very inclusive um and i don't know so you look at the um you know places where you can um study glass now so and um, there's sort of blowfish glass north of london which is uh, run by um beth jade woods uh, and we've got the glass hub which is run by two women Deborah and husky a woman um so so it's, it's a mixture of of everyone now, which is all inclusive. I have been working on a project which I called Whispering Sweet Nothings, which is a collection of these 27, 26 centimeter tall figures, all made out of different glass artists' glass. And um, so the shape's the same, immediately identifiable. And then hopefully as well, the glass is identifiable. So in there, we've got people like Catherine Husky and Catherine Schilling. And um, again, so, so you can look at this and, uh, you know, and everyone's equal in it. They all way the same, same height, irrelevant of how big they are in a glass world. Um, so again, that's a way of bringing people together. But the likes of, you know, Northland's creative, again, it brings people together. And it, it's a very inclusive community. Um, I find the world of glass is great. That's really good to hear. And I think, you know, even more so now in the current, current climate that we're in, it's ever so much really 
definitely important that there's a, a, a community behind something like, you know, that you're doing, obviously working with glass as well. And I guess like, you know, is this going to probably evolve more to kind of being more online, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, everyone's so supportive of one another and you can see that on various forums and things. So if someone has a problem getting access to, to something, a facility or a product and, you know, people will help or if, if it's knowledge or advice and, and, you know, the Scottish Glass Society is amazing for things like that. So, it's, so it is constantly evolving. And then, um, you know, Edinburgh, we've got Gallery 10, which was opened by the lovely Paul Musgrove. And he was a, you know, glass artist. And he's gone on to have a, this amazing gallery and, and, and has filled it with glass. So it's, uh, he, ha- he has an amazing passion for the subject. That's really cool. And like for you then, who else do you kind of like follow at the moment or over the years that you're thinking that you get inspired by? I, th- I think everyone's so different and everyone has done so well in finding their own little niche within the world of glass. But I've, every, every single person I go and, you know, have a look at, so that, you know, the Scottish Glass Society might, you know, have, or you have a look at their other members and, and each person's inspiring in their own right because they found their own little niche, which, which is fantastic, really. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like your passion for working with glass definitely comes through. And like, how's like your family and like friends, have they kind of been like, okay, you're totally geeking out at the moment? <laughs> <laughs> They've all been very, very good and very supportive. And um, and I've done some, you know, traveling around sort of Northlands and, um, and, and they they've they've been incredibly supportive um with that but then over the summer with lockdown and a lot of conferences have gone online so the glass art society conference which should have been in sweden was um online so it was free for anyone to listen to um and that so that was good so i could send everyone a link and say you know have a listen to this and and that was a good opportunity because um, it didn't matter where you were in the world, they could listen to it. And a lot of my relatives and friends were going, I get it now. It makes sense. I understand okay. what you're talking about, yeah. which, which was good because I can, I can rabbit on for hours and hours about glass. But it's, <laughs> it's good for them to see other people talking and, you know, with that same enthusiasm and same passion. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like, you know, this is my kind of opinion is that, you know, the more younger generations get interested in it, it kind of like, it's just, it sustains actually glass still being worked with as well. I think that's really kind of key. And you mentioned earlier about, you know, some like, you know, mothers have kind of mentioned all their kids are kind of just being kind of inspired by it. And I kind of feel like, you know, even more so than now, it's such really kind of key moment in time that the younger generations are kind of taking this on and taking an interest in working with glass. Absolutely. Well, people are looking more now at the minute of, you know, arts and crafts and what, what they can do. And, um, and people, um, some people who've gone to, you know, found the figures have gone on to do courses. So, um, and that's fantastic to hear. So I, I get feedback saying I've taken a course at Adam Aronson's Glassblowing Studio and I loved it. But it, it's, it's making people rethink, um, but, you know, not just about recycling, but about getting into glass. And um, there's some amazing courses out there, though, really. Yeah, and I think, you know, like, you know, what you said before, like, you know, you was like dropping off kind of um, little figures and stuff around where you lived. You definitely paid it forward as well, you know. (laughs) It's nice because some people have have gone on to, um, like, leave them again. So they have, like, so they've kept the label on. And um, so uh, there was one on a glacier in Iceland. Wow. And, and there was one um, in Iceland where the plate tectonics meet and they actually, um, you know, scoop, took some scuba diving gear and they dove down and they actually left it where these plate tectonics met. So, so each one tells a completely different story as to where, you know, where it's been and where it's going. 
And there's, yeah. there's one that's traveled, you know, through several different countries. And it's amazing, like, hearing, hearing its travels. But you, because they do look like little people, um, you know, people often give, most people give them names. So one that was found yesterday was called Olaf. And um, so they all get quirky, weird and wonderful names. And, yeah. uh, and I love it. <laughs> now, that's really cool. It's a, it's a really kind of um, interesting way as, a, as in that kind of human condition, as we kind of take claim to something, but also like it's gone on all these, like the, the, the characters or the figures have gone on really kind of far, long, wide journeys across the world. That's really amazing to kind of hear. That's it. Well, essentially, you know, the figure's not been lost, but it's been deliberately placed out and then it's been found. And then that's when the journey really begins. So you've got no idea where, where he or she will end up or um, because, you know, it's, it's an androgynous figure, really. Um, so people attach their own narrative. And I've got, you know, several page emails about, you know, the journeys that they've been on and the travels that they've been on. And during lockdown, um, it's been nice to, to, you know, to hear those stories and at the start of lockdown, I, I put something on social media that said, um, you know, if you wanted company, I could send you a, a small figure. So just a three centimeter tall figure and um, for free. And, um, and I had a, hundreds and hundreds of responses. So I sent those out. And again, all of those photographs that all came back and messages came back. And, you know, I had photographs of people doing jigsaws with the little figure and you know and you know I'm, I'm taking it for a cup of tea now and I'm doing a crossword with my figures so mm -hmm. it's uh yeah it tells a different story yeah, the story the story's only just begun really hasn't it really yeah absolutely and you know kind of you know thinking way ahead thinking uh, you know post-covid life how do you think like you know your work's gonna kind of evolve have you kind of thought about future projects at the moment um I'm not too sure so many opportunities have opened up over lockdown because really the world's become a smaller place in some ways so galleries um that we i didn't have access you know i couldn't visit before necessarily you know are now online which is incredible so you know the habitat galleries in the states you, and, and they're having zoom talks and studio tours and and all of these things so um, I, I don't know. It's it's opened up a lot more opportunities instead of instead of the world shrinking. Um, so I think the world's the, the world's my oyster, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's definitely like you know, it's just kind of strange how the whole kind of like the you know social media has kind of just all, all of a sudden become a, much more of a like engagement tool and networking tool now as well. And I'm probably I'm guessing you're finding that more that people just kind of contacting you on you know. Um, instagram or facebook rather than kind of email just to say hey how you, how's it going i've got this project and coming up would you want to be involved absolutely right and it works in in many aspects so back in 2015 when i started doing my masters a lot of people would so i'd start posting images of the process so you know a figure on the reciprocal or a figure on the flatbed grinder and people then would engage and say tell me more about the process tell me about you know what are you doing um, and, th and that's been nice, but that's, you know, that's evolved over time. And I don't know, I might get, I don't know, 30, 40 messages a day of various people asking various questions, but, but it, it has op so many opportunities have, have opened up all across the world, um, which, which has been good to see because it's made it more accessible to everybody, mm -hmm. um, which, which has been lovely, really. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, before we kind of finish up, like where can like the listeners go and kind of find you and follow you on social media? 
Um, so I'm um, under Hannah Gibson Glass um, and on all social media platforms. But there's so there's there's so many places where people can learn more about glass. So the Northlands Creative Social Media Pages or Scottish Glass Society, um, Social Media's Gallery 10 um, in Edinburgh. So there's so many places, so many resources for glass. And, and Northlands is, is a fantastic place, really. So, so you know, have a, have a look at their social media pages as well. And um, you can learn all types, all, all sorts of things. You can do courses out there. It's probably one of the most beautiful places in the world, if not the most beautiful place in the world up at Caithness. Yeah, I've looked at some of the pictures online. It just looks really kind of beautiful. And I kind of thinking like maybe in the new year, I kind of like, you know, go out there and actually just go and check it out. And that's kind of one thing for me myself, like I'm Aberdeen based. And it's only been over the past few years that I've actually been discovering more of Scotland, how beautiful it is. It's true. It's, it's awe-inspiring. That, that area, the coastline is fantastic. You can't beat it really. Mm-hmm. And then to have glass blowing as well and casting it in the same place. So it's, it's seventh heaven, really. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for being the third guest in this series of conversations in partnership with Northlands Creative. Appreciate you taking the time out, you know, to speak with us about your work so far. And I'll be sure to put all the links um, to your social media and the episode description. So thanks again, Hannah, for coming on the podcast. It's a pleasure. Stay safe and stay well. You too. Cheers. Bye. So that was my conversation with Hannah Gibson. Uh, I want to take the time out to thank Hannah um, for coming on the podcast and sharing her story with us. So guys, definitely you know, be sure to check out all the links to Hannah's work in the episode description. And moving forward, um, I'm quite curious actually to just ask you guys just now, um, what are you thinking of these series of special conversations? Um, being Myself being a complete novice in terms of like, glass art and the different kind of practices involved in it I've, I've been really enjoying the conversation so far so yeah you know you can get back to me um on instagram send me a dm or you know find me an email all the links in my bio on instagram and just kind of let me know what you're thinking about you know the conversation so far that would be much appreciated and also a big shout out you know to the episode sponsors northlands creative creative scotland and creative europe they're making these really interesting conversations possible so big shout out to them um, for making this happen and moving forward yes more interesting conversations coming up with glass artists and coming weeks so stay tuned for that and i'm going to catch up with you soon all right guys take care for now